Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Happy Easter. I hope you had an awesome week, but it is that morning. Happy Easter. Felices Pascuas uh, to my Spanish friends. Ista Omerato to my Japanese friends. Uh, Christos Vascris to my Russian friends. Uh, I... I could probably go through a couple more, but I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm going to stop right there while I'm ahead. But happy Easter, everybody. Uh, man, from Salt River Community Church, from my, myself, my family, I mean, uh, just happy Easter. It's such a glorious uh, time. And um, I want to invite you, before I jump into the Word, invite you to come hang out with us tonight if you like. Uh, we meet in our home. And you're welcome to come. We're in the East Valley in Tempe, Arizona. And tonight we're going to do something special, something we do that's special. It's basically a Lord's Supper. We call it the Upper Room, but we gather together and we remember Christ. And it's a whole evening of doing that. And uh, it's a really exciting time. It's a good time to to laugh, uh, maybe even cry, to share some experiences we've been through. We'd love for you to come be part of that. And you're certainly welcome to. You can hit us up online. We'll tell you how to find us. You know how that works, whether email, social media, whatever. But uh, anyway, we'd love for you to come. If you're part of the church, you've got the opportunity to be involved in a text message that we did for uh, Good Friday. And man, was that powerful. First time we've done that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's something we're going to continue to do in the future. But uh, basically walked through Good Friday in real-time events so that you could kind of experience it uh, as best we can estimate as it was happening and feel the weight of it throughout all of uh, Friday morning or Thursday night, starting at midnight, all throughout the night and all throughout the morning. And Man, it was powerful. It, it, you could really feel the weight of it in a lot of ways. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me was feeling the actual amount of time that he was on the cross, like how long... He, he actually hung there um, before he died. And we ended the text 5 o'clock yesterday, Friday, with, or not yesterday, but Friday, at 5 o'clock p.m. with his burial in the tomb. However, as of this morning, I can assure you that he is alive. The grave is empty. He is alive uh, and that's what we're getting into today. The same way that he died, man, with the earth shaking, he also rose with an earthquake and the earth shaking. The stone was rolled away uh, by an angel. It was witnessed by guards that were standing there that were petrified, frozen in fear in the moment. And he walked out of the grave. And I want you to just stop just two seconds and just think about it. What are the implications of that? He walked out of the grave. He is alive. What are the implications of that? Last week, Josh talked about Jesus' death on the cross and uh, Jesus' words, it is finished. Um, that usually signals the end. But the cool part of Christ's story is it really signals the beginning. In fact, uh, the Bible begins with the phrase, in the beginning, back in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. But it could be argued that in the beginning, Christ rose from the grave. And I say that because uh, I know it's in the New Testament. I know it's thousands of years, literally, after Genesis. But it is the pinnacle moment of creation. All of creation rises to that moment in time. All of history races forward to it, and all of the future races back to it. 
that is the moment. And Jesus' resurrection was not the end of the plan. That wasn't the finish point. It was the plan. It was the plan, period. That moment when the stone rolled away, that moment he walked out of the darkness, it wasn't the finish. It was the beginning. We're going to talk about that today. So grab a Bible if you've got it. Read uh, with me here real quick. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to read verse 12. Uh, we'll read a few verses here. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the truth, Lord, that you are alive. Thank you for defeating death. Thank you that I can hope in the fact that the grave is not my final destination, Lord, that you have provided, though I be a sinner, you have provided, God, the opportunity for me uh, to, to be free of the chains of death, not because of anything I've done. In fact, I've done everything to get myself into the chains of death. But, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for conquering the grave. Thank you, Lord, for loving me in spite of my sinfulness. Lord, I pray that you would save people today all around the world, that they would see who you are and come to love you. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as the years go by, move those glasses so I don't fidget with them. But as the years go by, man, I continue to get more and more shocked, I guess. I probably I shouldn't be by now, but shocked at how openly um, and vehemently and viciously people oppose Christ and Christians. It seems like it's more and more every year. And social media is probably to blame for it because it's just, what I mean by that is it's, it's more readily prevalent. Like you can see it so much quicker. And I, you know, I had planned to share some things that I've seen, uh, quote unquote friends posting, people that I'm connected with on social media, uh, things I've seen online, everything from calling, uh, Jesus an alien down to outright mocking him as a drunk and, a stoner and, and, and all kinds of things. I was going to show some pictures, but you know what? I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to do it. Uh, honestly, I, I don't want to show it. I don't even want to say it because it's offensive and it's disgusting. But for those people who are posting these things or saying these things, and there's millions of them, millions of them. For them, Jesus is dead. For them, he is a long dead. 2,000 years ago, dead and gone. And we are absolute idiots for believing him. That to consider him be a living God is ridiculous to them. Uh, so despite the rumors, despite the slander that we hear and we see all around us all the time, listen to me, Jesus has risen. It is a fact. And because of that, our faith has a very solid foundation uh, with hope. And also a message of hope that we should be proclaiming to a lost world. That's what I want to challenge you with today. That's what I want to challenge you. So we're going to look at this in kind of an if-then scenario. If there's no resurrection, then there's no gospel. If there's no gospel, then there's no Messiah or Christ. If there's no Messiah, then there's no hope. All right, let's get in here real quick. Look at verse 12. 
Uh, now, if, here, I mean, excuse me, here we got, if no resurrection, we have no gospel. So he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead or preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? How can you guys say this? He's talking about resurrection in general. How can you say that there's no life after death? That's what he's saying. How can you say that if Christ is being preached to you and you are preaching in essence? Because he's talking to a church. Remember that. How how can you say uh, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead that there is no life after death? How can you say that? What happens to people when they die? You ever thought about it? I mean, maybe you, I'm sure you have, but, it, but is it something that you just think about and then throw away? Or do you just spend a minute on it? What happens to people when they die? People in your life that maybe passed away, where are they right now? What happens to people when they die? Everything dies. Everything dies. Everything decays. Everything is decaying. Even non-living things fall apart over time. What, what, what happens next, though? For the things that are living, what happens next? People. What happens next? Popular ideas out there. Atheism, obviously, and Evolution kind of suggests that, well, they're temp- we're all temporary anyway, and we just cease to exist. We just, we're just not here anymore. Just evaporate, gone, whatever. Uh, agnosticism says, hey, you know what? Nobody knows. There's probably a spiritual truth out there, but who knows? Nobody knows, and you can't know. Um, annihilationism is a belief that, well, the wicked will disappear. The, the righteous will go into heaven, but the wicked will just uh, disappear or evaporate or be gone. Uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, there's some mixed understanding of what all goes on there. But the long and short of it is, is there's a desire to reunite with the universe, kind of to achieve nirvana. Uh, who knows what that actually means? But Krishna and the beliefs around reincarnation that, hey, we just come back and do it again. In fact, we might come back in, uh, into a lower life form like a cat or a dog or a toad and have to get back to a human first. And then once we get to a human, if we do well enough, we go on to another life form, I assume, or, or maybe we get back into the universe. I don't know. But how do we know? Here's the question. How can we know? How can we know? There is only one way that we can know. Somebody would have to go there. To the dead, somebody would have to go there and come back on their own. Would have to be them. They would have to go. They'd have to come back. On. I'm not talking about near-death experiences. We got all kinds of books, all kinds of stories. I'm not talking about, man, he was dead on the table for 20 minutes and they brought him back. I'm talking about really, really dead. How about beaten until your flesh was falling off? How about them being Nailed, physically nailed with your flesh falling off onto pieces of wood in the sun and hung there for hours. How about being stabbed in the side to ensure your death? And then how about being sealed in a dark tomb with a stone over the front of it and a Roman guard out with chains or a seal, Roman seal on it that it shouldn't be broken or open for three days? That, my friends, is dead. That is dead. And then he came out. 
he came back. He came out. In order to be raised from the dead, one has to go there. He did. He died. His victory over death, though, man, listen, it's, it's not just like meaninglessness, uh, but it becomes meaninglessness, the resurrection, if the death never happened. The death is not meaningless. The death meant something. He had to die to face it. And then his resurrection would be meaningless if he didn't actually die. But he did. He died. He faced it. He died. Um, if so, if so, if, if he didn't actually die, or if he did die, but he uh, didn't raise from the dead, if that be so, then there's no hope in the message that's preached. It, 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 what Paul is saying is if, 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 there, if there is no resurrection, if that didn't happen, if it, whatever reason, he died, he stayed dead, or he faked his death, or whatever the excuse of the day is, if either way, if he didn't rise from the dead, then the message that's preached has no hope in it. What's the message that's preached? Well, that's the gospel. The gospel is what's preached, that Christ died to save sinners. Paul said he was the worst. That Christ died to save sinners, to provide forgiveness for our sins. That's what the cross is about. He paid the debt you can't pay to provide forgiveness for you, to provide relationship between you and the Lord. And on the third day, he defeated death. Today, we celebrate the fact that he defeated death so that we too can have life in him. That's the message that's proclaimed. That's the gospel. If he didn't rise, that's all meaningless. So if no resurrection, no gospel. If no gospel, no Messiah, no Christ. Verse uh, 13 there. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Well, that's just a mathematical conclusion. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus is still a rotting corpse somewhere. Obviously, by now, he would be dust. And that's what these many of these people who are mocking him today would say. He goes on, he says, if there's no resurrection, there's no gospel. If there's no gospel, there's no Messiah. There's no Christ. If there's no Messiah, then there's no hope. Look at verse 14. And if, if, he's saying if here, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Two things there, two-part answer there, conclusion he comes to with this little math problem he's working through. Preaching is in vain because the message is, and so is your faith. It's in vain. Uh, Solomon would use uh, chasing after the wind to illustrate what vain means. When he talks about things that are vain, he, he talks about it as chasing the wind. Can't catch the wind. Not even sure where the wind's going. Can't describe it. I mean, you can feel it, but you can't see it. You can see the effects of it, but you can't see it. And you don't know where it's going necessarily. Even if you did, you can't hold it. It's a complete waste of time. And that's what Paul's saying. You know, if there's no Messiah, if Christ, Messiah and Christ is the same word. If Messiah, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is a waste of time. His death on the cross, though, was not just some simple act of suffering. It wasn't some simple act of humility. He wasn't trying to just be the super humble person and, and, and do the, you know, the greatest 
uh, act of kindness. and It wasn't all of that. And his resurrection wasn't simply this random show of power or some evidence that he was God. It wasn't just some display of his power. It was those things, but there was a purpose. He went to the cross for the glory of God the Father. He went to the cross because the Father desired to save you and me. He rose from the dead because the Father desired to save you and me. And for the glory of God, his Father, he went to the cross. He defeated death for you and me. That's why Paul ties our faith to it. Look what he says in chapter 15, verse 17. Look what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's a waste of time. And you're still in your sins. So you're still going to have to deal with that. So whether you believe in God or not, one day you're going to stand in front of him. Let's see how you handle the sins in your life. Okay? Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We have wasted and squandered the opportunity to party our life away. Because we've tried to honor God who's not there anyway. Because Jesus didn't rise from the dead. All of it's a waste of time. And we should have just lived it up. For Paul though, look man, for Paul, no matter how many great things Jesus did, if he didn't rise, we are pitiful fools for following him. No matter what great things Jesus did, if he didn't rise... We are pitiful fools. You see what he's saying there? He's not saying, well, you know what? He's a good dude. He did some great things. No, no, no. If he didn't rise, we are fools for following him. No matter how many miracles, if he didn't raise himself from the dead, then the jokes about us are justified. That's what he's saying. No matter how many miracles he did, no matter how many wise sayings he made, if there's no resurrection, if he's not alive then we are a joke. We are idiots, we are fools, and we should be ashamed and pitied. That's what he says. But, (laughs) but, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. He is alive. How do we know? Well, first of all, because he said so beforehand. I could give you a lot, but I'm just giving you a verse here. Matthew 17, verse 22. As the disciples were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, speaking of himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. He said that more than once. He told them it was going to happen. Even though they didn't understand it. Scripture says so. I could give you a lot of that, but I'll give you a couple. About a thousand years before Jesus, David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 10, For you, God, will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter and Paul both assigned that statement to be about Jesus' resurrection. They say that in Acts. Isaiah wrote 800 years before Jesus, Isaiah 53, which talks in detail about Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Though it doesn't call him that, it calls him the suffering servant. But it details out what he would do in his sacrificial death on the cross. But in verse 10, again, 800 years or so before Jesus, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. So God is the one who put Jesus on the cross. This was their 
plan. They are one and the same. I can't work that out with you right now. But our God did this. Father and Son together did this. Uh, it says, uh, when verse uh, 10, it says, When his soul makes an offering for guilt, when he's dead, when he's offered himself and he dies, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. You understand what prolong means? He will extend his days. Well, he's died. He's made an offering. But now he's extending his days. That's a picture of resurrection. They will, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. His, his deeds will be successful. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's talking about something that's coming. He's going to be in torment and anguish and, and suffering, I guess is a better word. But out of that, he will see something is coming. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. He will bear their sins. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. There's a lot here, but I'm not trying to unpack it all. Just show you. Because he poured out his soul to death. It's telling you, he poured out his soul. He died. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up of my own. That's what this is saying. He poured out his soul to death. Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, Lord. Same thing. He poured out his soul, his spirit to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's exactly where Jesus was. He hung between two criminals, dead. Yet, look at this. He bore the sin of many and makes, look at the language. See, I just changed and makes intercession for the transgressors, meaning he's currently doing it. He is alive. He bore our sin. He did die on the cross. He used his own body as an offering for our sins. But then he prolonged his days. He lives. He came back. He came back. And he now makes intercession between us and the Father. Um, I also know because, again, it's not simply as though he's just conquering some enemy that had him down for three days. Again, it's not just a display of his power here. Oh, you can't hold me down and I want to prove it to somebody. It's not that. This whole thing was by design. That he rose. His death was the work of God, said it in verse 10 of Isaiah 53. His death was the work of God, and it was for the purpose of resurrection. For all, for, to be provided for all who, who, who come to him by faith. He's the first, but, but for all. 1 Corinthians 15, back again here in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or dead. He's the first of those who are dead to come back. For as by one man death came, Adam, by a man has come also, Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, that's all of us, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It's right there. So are we really just silly, pitiful, ignorant Christians? that true? Is it just simply faith here that we just blindly follow along? Is there no evidence? Do we have any reason to believe this? Well, there's a lot. Um, I'll give you a few. Only a few years after the event there, in uh, about 55, 56 AD is when Paul wrote what we're reading. Just a few years after the events occurred. And we know this because look in chapter 15, look at back at verse 3. He says, I delivered to you, Corinthians, 
as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died. This is the message he was talking about. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Says that twice. All right. And that he appeared, look at this, that that was the gospel. And he goes on to say, and he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than, look at this, 500 brothers at one time, not scattered around, all at one. Look what he says, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, uh, to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul implies that you can go ask these people. When he says 500 people at one time, most are still alive, he's saying, go ask them. There were witnesses. You don't believe it? Go ask them. How many witnesses does it take? Uh, there's more than 500 at one point that saw them. Go ask them. In fact, Jesus appeared on at least 12 different occasions across a 40-day period. At least. Paul says this was according to the scriptures two times in there. And the Old Testament is literally filled with hundreds of prophetic words detailing the coming of Messiah. And they hit it with incredible precision. Um, So how do we explain it, you know? How do these people who mock explain it? Well, there's a lot of ideas out there. I won't go through all of them, but I'll give you a few. Swoon theories probably been one of the popular ones in the past. Basically just means that Jesus passed out on the cross. He didn't really die. But anybody who understands Rome and crucifixion knows that's impossible. I'm not going to waste any time on that. Anybody who knows Rome and crucifixion knows that is impossible. Um, Another theory is that Jesus had a twin, that there were two of them. Uh, I can't believe that's even really a theory, but it is that apparently this twin stayed hidden all this time. Nobody knew about this twin. Uh, and then this twin allowed himself to be crucified on behalf of Jesus for a lie. Uh, just It's full of, full of ridiculousness. Another one is group hallucinations. That one is ridiculous as well because anybody can tell you that a hallucination comes from one, one's own mind. You, there's no such thing as a group hallucination. It comes from your individual mind. Uh, there's another one that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> that one's funny to me. As though no one could point them to the correct one where the Roman guards were standing with the seal on the outside. You know, But the most common one, I think, is that the body was stolen by his disciples and this thing was fabricated and it's funny in fact that was noted uh in the bible because the jews actually thought they might try to do that matthew 27 64 i won't read it but it points out that they asked for that and the roman roman guards that's why there were soldiers at the tomb was to try to prevent that and a seal put on the on the um stone but the question is would the disciples risk Even if they found a way to do this, would they risk being crucified themselves for stealing a dead body, assuming they even could do that, and and perpetuating a complete lie? Why would they do that? The disciples, though, are actually the best evidence that this thing actually happened. These men, these men abandoned Jesus completely the night he's arrested, completely abandon him, and they're hiding from the Jews the whole time that he's dead in the ground. But something causes all of that to change. Something causes all that to change. These same terrified men who are hiding in in the book of Acts begins with Peter preaching a sermon publicly 
condemning publicly the very people who crucified Jesus in the very same city where it had occurred just a few uh, weeks before. Just think about what happened. Just before this, Jesus has been crucified. He's hiding. Now all of a sudden he's standing in the same city preaching condemnation on the people themselves who crucified him. Over 3,000 people in Jerusalem, the same city, respond to that by putting their faith in this risen Jesus. 3,000. The disciples all went to brutal deaths. John, everybody, I know John didn't, John was uh, exiled, but don't assume that was some kind of pleasant experience. That's a whole other story. But they all faced horrible situations or horrible deaths. Matthew was staked to the ground and beheaded. That happened in Ethiopia in 68 AD. Uh, Peter was crucified. The church history says crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Christ. Uh, that was in Rome, 64 AD. Thomas was killed with spears. That happened in India in 70 AD. I'm not going to keep going, but these guys all faced those kinds of deaths for a lie? I don't think so. Something happened. They saw somebody. They saw him. He is alive. At the same time, there was a Jewish Pharisee, a radical Jewish Pharisee, who was exterminating everybody that followed Jesus systematically until he met Jesus. And Jesus was very much alive. And his whole world changed. Paul went on to write the majority of the New Testament. And he faced beheading by Nero in Rome in 64 A.D., His disciples are the best evidence of his resurrection. Guess what? If you are a follower of Christ, you too are a a disciple. You too are a disciple. And that means you too are a witness to the resurrection. You say, well, I wasn't there. Jesus told Thomas, who doubted it in the beginning. He said in John 20, 29, Jesus said, Have you really believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I know it's true. I know he's alive. I know it. He is very much alive. Um, Resurrection is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the start. Uh, One more, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. We will be raised just as he was. We can hope in that because he was. If he came out of that grave, he tells you he will raise you so he will. Until then, can we please be like Paul? Back in verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he gives the gospel. Let us be doing that. Let us be delivering the gospel because we also received it. And look, I love verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. May his grace toward me. Not be in vain. May you be able to say that if you're a believer today. That his grace towards you is not in vain. When Paul said that, it would cost him his life to honor his word in saying that. I'm not looking to be beheaded or staked to the ground. But I do hope that my life is not in vain. 
that his grace is not in vain. Because listen to me, our preaching, our message, and our faith are not in vain. He is alive. The gospel is the truth. And we have hope. If he's not alive, then what's all this about? What's Easter about? What's Christmas about? What's the church about? Why bother? Where's the value in life? If it just all ends. But death, guys, is not the end. You need to hear this today if you haven't heard it before. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. We know because of him. He's been there and come back because of the witnesses who saw him. Because of his word beforehand. Because of the word of the prophets before that proclaiming it. And we can know that he's alive. And we can believe in him to deliver us. Um, that comes by faith. That comes by faith in his sacrifice on the cross, in his resurrection. That's something you can have today. And look, I'm talking to a cell phone over here. Uh, but I know you can see me. If you're watching this, I know you can hear me. And I'm begging you today. What better day than now to just stop it and say, Jesus, you know what? You can have me. You don't have to fancy word it. You don't have to repeat after me or anybody else. It's not a magic spell. It's a relationship that you say, Jesus, I want you. And I give myself to you. You can have me. I confess that I am a sinner and I can't make it right. I trust in your cross. I trust that you did come out of the grave. I don't understand it. I can't explain it maybe, but I trust it. If that's you, say it today to him. And hit us up. We want to know. We want to pray for you. Find a good, solid church. Come to ours, but if you're not close, then find a good, solid church that teaches God's word and makes disciples. I love him, and I love his word, and I'm so grateful today. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for the privilege of preaching your word, of holding your word, of having your word. I thank you for the privilege of having your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the gift of resurrection. Thank you for the hope that comes through salvation. Lord, I pray that my life would not be in vain. That your grace, Lord, would never appear wasted on me. I love you, Lord. I pray that for all others who might confess it as well. And Lord, if there be anybody today that would confess you as Lord, Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit. And draw them to us or to others who would guide them in your word. We ask all these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.